This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Uh, hey there, Knicks fans. How you doing? I'm sorry, I'm a little delirious. It's been quite the weekend. Um, it's your boy, John of the Macri, with you for another episode of the Knicks Film School Podcast. Coming at you on a Monday morning, or at least that's when we're releasing it, which means we're recording it on a Sunday, which means I am having my weekly Sunday conversation with the young man who keeps me grounded. That's that's how I'm going to introduce you today, Jeremy Cohen. Um, Jeremy, how are you? I'm doing all right, thank you. Yeah, I. Um, yeah, how are you? How are you doing? It's a more important question. It's actually really not. Um, other no, it, than it what totally I, other than what I just told you about my daughter, who's been sick for a week and um, is taking out her frustration on myself and my wife in the form of um, just. All kinds of tantrums that if I told you, you would not believe them. Um, I'm doing all right. It was um, last night was kind of a trip. Still kind of, you know, processing that experience as well as as well as that shot. Um, when's the last time they've? When's the last time? Because I, I and I I I should uh, let me start by saying I I owe an apology. I I take. Pride in the fact that my tweets are pretty well thought out, um, and after I, f- I finished my story for um, SI Knicks last night, I just I wanted to get it out as soon as possible because it was like, you know, the the longer you wait, the less relevant it is. And I wrote that it was the Knicks' first heartbreaker of the season, which is obviously not true. The game against Boston was a heartbreaker, and the game against um, the Nets earlier than that was a heartbreaker, but. In the moment, it felt like last night's was like another, like another level. And I'm trying to. Can you remember when's the last time? Given like everything that feels like it's at stake right now, and it, and we're gonna get into everything that it feels like it's. It, like, there's a lot of gravity around the organization and the team right now. But when I can't even remember the last time, it has to be when KP was still here, right, and playing. What for? Just like a, an absolute heartbreaker for a one where you it just it stayed with you like deep like it's this one stayed with me like all day like I, I just I'm, I'm like I was walking to into town with my wife to watch some football and just periodically like I, I think to myself my God if he had just not meaning Frank diverted from the course that Graham was taking just as severely. He would have gotten there and like, you know, because should Mitch have stepped up? It's like it's just it, and then it's it popped into my head at the bar and it popped into my head before while I was watching like the beginning of the Pats game. It's just it was bad. This was bad. It's it, not in terms of like the process behind the loss, but just how much it, it stuck with me. You know what I mean? Yeah, I, I feel like um, what you're saying in terms of KP still being on the team definitely rings true. I kind of thought back to the Bucks game that they lost in Milwaukee by um, by two, which is like it just. It seemed like they were so close, and then of course he goes down two games later, and you know the rest is history. But that's I, right. I, I know what you mean in terms of like it just, and I'm sure you being present also made it all the more of a factor because this year, you know, we're we're hopeful, but we're also a little bit more grounded in reality for what this team is. But I, don't know, I just went back to that that one game where even though the team was certainly under 500, they were they were making strides. You could see where the next step up was going to be and when it might happen. And then, of course, just came all – it just all came down. Yeah, and and not to get too too far off track uh, before we even get on track, but, like, that particular – I want to say it was, like, a month-long stretch. Um, basically, 
I, I kind of want to start it around maybe the Christmas game. Um, or am I, I may, wait, hold on. I might be confusing years. When's the, when's the game where, um, uh, Cantor had 2020 on Christmas was, that was when KP was still here, right? I'm not confusing that. I think. Yeah. That, yeah. Okay. And then they basically were losing left and right. Uh, they had the one big win against the Pelicans, um, in that, in that stretch. And then there was just heartbreaking loss after heartbreaking loss. And it just, cause you felt like we were so close to something. Um, and then obviously KP goes down with the injury and then it, it's, it's been everything that's been since then. This feels, and this is actually a good transition into what we wanted to talk about first. Um, I, so what we're dealing with now with this team is there's two separate worlds, but they're also related in that there's the off court stuff that obviously happened, started um, I guess a, a week ago, right now, it, we're what? How many? A couple hours from now? It's we're recording this at six o'clock on Sunday. When did Mills and Perry come out? It was about nine thirty, ten, something like that. Yeah, just about yeah, ten thirty, maybe. Yeah. So it, you know, it started with that and then continued with the Woj report the next day. So like that's one arena, so to speak. And then there's the stuff on the court and like the decisions that Fisdale is making, and we're that we're gonna get into that too, and. You know, um, like, is he the coach for this team long term? And, like, did the guys that chose the players for this team, are they the right men to make the decisions for this team long term? And and obviously those two different things are related. Um, So let's let's start there. It's like how – I guess maybe the way to start is like, what should we all be concerned about right now? Like, can should is the should the focus be on what's going on on the court, or should the focus still be, fuck, could we just get out of our own way for once off of it? I I, I don't know. I've I've been in a bit of a daze this week thinking this stuff through, and I, I don't honestly know that I have any answers, but I'm curious what you think. Yeah, you know, I mean, you don't want to give up on a season when it's like the fifteenth game of the year and. The team is obviously very close to the eighth seed if we're being honest, but then if we're being a little bit more brutally honest, <laughs> what's is there is there a pointer? And this isn't me saying let's just stop trying, right? It's just a matter of but what would that even look like? Exactly, because as you pointed out in the article and I had the same thought, which is like, okay, so maybe you trade more, what else do you really do? You, you can't really tank per se, because you're you're kinda already doing that in a lot of ways. And and you're not even tanking to begin with. You're just you're just a poorly constructed, poorly coached team, and you're very young, and you're trying to make strides and grow. And it seems like a lot of people are trying to blame one party um, or bl- blame the other when there's really blame throughout, you know, throughout the entire organization. So, because I feel like it's it's also very easy to say if you really like Fizz, it's very easy to say the front office gave him a really poorly constructed roster. And if you tolerate the front office and don't love Fizz, it's easy to say, well, I mean, come on. He's got to learn to work with something here, right? It's not like they don't have any NBA caliber players on the team. And you can kind of toe the line however you want. So it's so hard to – it's a very chicken and the egg situation. Of course, the front office of is the it. one that brought in Fizdale. And it starts with the front office. There, there has to be accountability at the top. And if Dolan is not really doing much with the team and he's just letting – he's just stepping out of the way so those who are in charge are making the decisions, then we have to first look there. And I think, of course, we can we can pin a lot of blame on that. They came in with a set goal. They hired a coach with, with that set goal in mind and then Kevin Durant wound up not coming here, uh, had to completely deviate. And it wasn't just like, oh, we'll get new free agents. It was our entire plan is now completely out the window and – you know, a thing that scares me, we saw that Terry Rozier very recently, because he obviously came to the Garden, was talking about the interest that the Knicks had. And I walked Which away was real, from that when I first way. read the report of – I, I believe that 100%. Um, yeah. yeah, and I think there was also the – if I remember correctly, it was the Knicks wanted Rozier, and then the Suns wanted Rozier, and then the Hornets wanted Rozier, and the Hornets won out. And I walked away from that being like, well, thank God that someone outstupided the Knicks in this situation because that's yeah, great. Yeah. But then it's also like, well, let's let's look at it like this. Why the hell were the Knicks looking at Rozier in the first place? And 
you know, it's sometimes the moves you don't make are just as important as the ones you do. Um, if the process, if the process behind, uh, I mean, but also at the same time, you know, we've read, we've read stories about, I mean, look at the, hell, look at the damn warriors. Uh, Draymond Green is the most important, um, you know, figure in, or, well, second most important figure in their organization, arguably for, for the last, um, whatever, six, seven years. And they, they had a chance to grab him in the late, that late first round and put, picked up, um, I forget who the hell they drafted ahead of him, but it was, it was someone, not him. Um, and they got lucky because he was still sitting there in, at 30, what was it? 35. Um, six, yeah. yeah, whatever it was. Yeah, and you know, I mean, fuck, but uh, the the Pats passed over Tom Brady, whatever, five times. I mean, look, you you have to be lucky sometimes, but there, like, like you're obviously saying, there does have to be a process to have faith in, um, in addition to that luck, um, I guess. Yeah, and it's also development too. Like you saw clear as day last night how Devontae Graham feasted on the Knicks. Where did Devontae Graham expand his game in the G League? It, yeah. To me, I look at the Hornets and what they've tried to do in terms of development, and really I pegged them as the worst team in the league this year. I think a lot of people well, did. Vegas it's very did easy. too. Right. It's very easy to see why they would be that way. And it just goes to show that they've really invested in their players. And then when you see, oh, well, we thought about Dennis, but Jr. might go to the G League, but he wasn't injured, so we decided against it. Like why? Why are you using? Or why are you not using a resource that you have available to you? There are teams that don't even have G League teams, and you have one in your own backyard. You practice the same facility with them, yeah. and you feel like maybe some of these guys can get extra reps. And you know, Dennis Jr. had a fantastic game against Dallas. He got into immense foul trouble against the Hornets, and with Chicago, he really was you know how you would expect a player to be when he's missed a bunch of games. But I kind of – the same thing happened with Frank before and I just don't really understand why they're so insistent on only having development through uh, through playing in NBA games, through watching NBA games. I'm sure it's important. You know, As Frank said when he was injured, it's not like I just sat there and did nothing. I picked up on the game. There was a lot I learned. You know, So it's not like Dennis Jr.'s growth would get stunted by watching and by playing. Yeah. But it's – if Devontae Graham, who again wasn't a heralded prospect, I understand that, but if, if he can go down there and they can work with him and turn him into this type of player who's just phenomenal for the Hornets, it's kind of disappointing that they can't that the Knicks can't yeah. even try to work with that with their own bigger name player. And look, I don't I don't want to I don't want to go too far down this road um because I mean it's 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 the rabbit hole in in um you know in Alice in Wonderland. It's it's never ending. Um, like, isn't that isn't that culture um, combination of bringing in to your organization the types of guys that respond well to such requests and you know in by the same token um, being able to look a player who was the ninth pick in the draft um, thought he probably should have been the first or second or third pick in the draft. And saying, "Hey, man, you need um, you need some you need some extra seasoning," um, and you know, and that's not an easy thing to do. And I'm not saying that there's a lot of organizations who are able to do that type of thing and, and do it well. And look, I mean, if we're being honest, the Knicks have three wins uh, this year, and 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 they they would not have one of those wins without Dennis Smith Jr. Um, that the, the you know the most recent Dallas game. At the same time, would him spending the first, you know, week of the season or or whatever it was in the G League, would that have gotten them another win? I, I don't know that. Um, would it have benefited him? Would it have maybe set a different? T- I mean, these are all unanswerable questions. But the fact that we, the fact that you're asking them, I think is is significant. And these are the questions that these are the questions that that don't come up. Guess what? If you don't send your your GM and your president out to do an impromptu press conference um, before the coach, you know, um, wipes his glasses when he walks back into the damn locker room. Like, this is the shit that comes up that, that you're forced to ask about and talk about and theorize about and pontificate and the whole, all of this nonsense, right? Um, 
you know, but like, yeah. yeah, but I don't really, for example, I don't give a shit about one win. You know what I mean? Like, Devontae Graham was seasoned for an entire year, and now we're seeing a, a player that. Oh no, really you're no you're one you're 100 right, 100 percent right. Like the long term dividends here are what matters. It's and I know you agree with that. It's more just we're not going to be able to see progression per se um, with with a G League stint, but at least maybe you can figure things out with a different. A different situation, different scenario. Perhaps there are guys who are more credited with uh, accredited with coaching and developing. Developing, uh, not you know, it's no slander towards the Knicks team. It's just they're geared towards different things, right? So it just feels like a resource that's not being utilized. And well, but, it's well, the first time that's happened. When the Hawks sent Tim Hardaway Jr. down to the G League, and at that time, don't forget, Jeremy Grant was actually playing pretty good ball for the Knicks. Um, everybody and their mother were like, "Oh my God, the Knicks." They, they, this was a steal. This they 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 this trade was a home run, and sure enough, um, a year and a half later, Jeremy Grant was uh, playing in Chicago. The Knicks had traded him away in the Derrick Rose deal, and Tim Hardaway Jr. was. I mean, look, it was an overpay, but he was good enough to warrant you know someone <laughs> giving him <laughs> four years and seventy one million dollars. Mm-hmm. But it, and in fairness, if the Knicks didn't give him that, he would have gotten you know four for forty eight from someone. I mean, he turned himself into a good player, and. It just goes to show that organizationally, sometimes you have to be strong enough to take the bad press. And I mean, look, there's a thousand different ways that we could enter and exit this discussion. I mean, the Knicks not liking bad press is one of several components, which is the most ironic thing in the world because then that <laughs> because of what happened on Sunday night. Um, by the way, I have a theory for you. Can I pitch something? Go for it. I, I don't know if this should make Nick fans feel better or worse, but I was th- I, I couldn't get over the fact that we saw Fizz joking around with Perry and Mills at, um, at practice uh, the, the the few hours after the Woj report came out on Monday, right? And I'm thinking to myself, I'm like, okay, Perry and Mills came out and in so not in so many words threw the coach under the bus, then. The Woj report comes out, which I theorized with Chris Eisman, and I don't know if you agree with me, but I feel pretty good about it that that was that that came from Fisdale's people, um, or Fisdale himself, or whatever. Uh, because but what happened after that report came out? Guess who everybody around the league sympathized with? David Fisdale. Mm-hmm. Um, there's also the CAA connection between Woj and Fizz. So look, you don't have to. It's not too many dots to connect. Um, and then they're joking around with each other. I almost, I almost think. So Dolan Dolan sends Mills and Perry out there and basically says, if you don't go out there and talk about this, I'm either going to fire you right now or I'm going to fire him right now or I'm going to fire all of you right now. And so they go out there and do this. They let Fizz know, hey, look, man, we had no choice because that's the only thing we could do to save all of our jobs. And then he's like, all right, fine, but there needs to be some kind of equaling of the, t- equaling of the scales here. And he basically lets them know, like, look, uh, then there's going to be a, rep- uh, a report. Like, I have to, I have to have my side of the story told. Maybe they look at him, say, yeah, all right, you know what, you do what you got to do. The Woj report comes out. This is the only, like, I know maybe this is kind of crazy, but I'm just trying to. Th- it's not that crazy. One, if you know Jim Dolan and how Jim Dolan operates his team, and, and there's a whole bunch of stories I've heard behind the scenes that this just makes a lot of sense where it's like everybody getting in their positions, which actually Woj even said, everybody's getting in their positions. And then, you know, that would explain how they're all sitting around laughing at practice the next day. Is so, And I don't know if this should make people feel better or worse. Again, this is just my theory. I have, I have absolutely no like source or anything to back this up. But what do you think of that? Is that, that nuts? You know, the Knicks front office has been so calculated with their moves. And at least from a PR standpoint, right? Like the Knicks basically avoided all talk of free agency. But there was one thing that kind of – it seems like when, when crisis hits or what, what might be perceived as crisis by the team's owner, then they, they react in, in um, a way that they really wouldn't. For example, Kevin Durant signs with the Nets. The Knicks could have just stayed quiet because he's a player on another team. And instead they released a statement saying, we're, you know – it was kind of like spinning it. They were trying to spin the narrative. And to me, that just doesn't seem like something that 
Scott Perry is a huge fan of, and I don't think Steve Mills would exactly like that. So it seemed like when when shit started to hit the fan, the best thing they felt was like, okay, let's let's get out in front of this, even though we're already behind it. Like we could only get it can only get worse. And so then they didn't have a press conference until the beginning of the season, right? When they were speaking, and then they didn't really really want to take questions on it because, and I get it, they didn't necessarily have to. Durant wasn't their player. And it feels like history kind of repeated itself here. And I know Stefan Bondi laid out the timeline, and it makes perfect sense. If James Dolan is talking to you, and then he goes back to his seat, and you're suddenly absent, that doesn't sound to me like a move that Perry and Mills feel. It doesn't sound like they kind of like, oh, you know what? We really should just randomly speak. Because spontaneously speaking is not something that's been in their track record. And we should say Berman, I mean, I, I quote tweeted him. I, I certainly read it as him reporting that Dolan sent them out there. Yeah, I, um, I wouldn't be shocked. And a may, lot of this also has to do with, with stocks and, and the value. You know, it's, yeah. maybe there could be something where – I know JB kind of touches on this from time to time. But if there are points where the value of the company, it could de- it continue decreasing, if there's some way where you can – but. But then it just seems more volatile when you when you throw your coach under the bus. Oh, no, it's so. all it's 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 all backwards and 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 you know cocked up because I mean, <laughs> it's it, it essentially. And I I'm not the first person to, to use this quote to describe the team um, or what what the perception of the team is sometimes. But it, it's it's a culture of fear, right? It's a culture where you make you make decisions because you are fearful that the owner is is going to, you know you know, fire you. And the reason you're, you're fearful that the owner is going to fire you is because the owner has fired a lot of people over the course of, of time. And, and again, I, I heard certain things. I'm privy to certain knowledge that I'm not, I'm not going to get into on this podcast, but that happens. That's a real thing. Um, the only question that I'm concerned about as a fan of this team is whether or not that there's a way for that not to trickle down to what we actually care about, which is, the players, the locker room, the coaches. And the one thing that I can report um, after being behind the scenes last night, and I, I will I will continue to try to keep an eye on this as I go back to the Garden and do this again throughout the year, is that team seemed like very together, you know, loosey-goosey before the game, like joking around, like Fisdale clearly – um, has something with these guys. They they seem to trust him, and there seems to be a unity amongst that group. It seems like maybe they are they have taken this like underdog like us against the world mentality, and maybe they're even thinking about that in terms of like, hey, even even our owner maybe not you know fully believe in us. Whatever it is, I don't think it's trickled down to what again me and you care about as we root for this team. So. You know, I think maybe there is a way to move past what happened last weekend, but I do think it's going to take um, actually continuing, you know, to progress. And that's, I think, why last night was so frustrating. Because if they could adjust, again, I know what you're saying. One win doesn't matter. I, I completely agree with you. One win in the grand scheme of things doesn't matter, but sometimes seasons and organization can can really change on a trifle and if they're sitting here now at four and nine instead of three and ten and they come and play a good game against the Cavs and all of a sudden they're on a three-game winning streak heading into this tough stretch five and nine doesn't sound like much but five and nine sounds a hell of a lot better than than um you know three and eleven which is on the table right now I don't know um but then you look at what they walk into Against oh, the Sixers, I know. <laughs> against the Spurs, against the Nets, and and it goes on for the next month. Yeah, and but how much? How much would these? If again, in my fantasy world, where that shot doesn't go in, or Frank does block it, and they do enter this crazy stretch on a three-game winning streak, how much does that bolster the belief that, like, hey, you know, nobody believes in us, but we we are doing it. We are putting this thing together. I don't know. I'm just throwing it out. But there. I don't think that the, that one, you know, one block or one missed shot. If, if Devontae Graham misses it, I think it's a good win, you know? Yeah. If anything, it's like we staved off a furious comeback. We beat the Mavs. Um, great. We're on a winning streak. That's fantastic. We get to play Cleveland. They're not a very good team. We, we have a chance. We're at home. 
Yeah, sure. There's momentum, but at the but the crux of what I'm saying is that the Knicks are going to run into such a rough patch in their schedule that what what happened a week ago is yesterday's news. Hell, sometimes what happened even a game ago is yesterday's news. I mean, literally and figuratively, it's it's way in the rearview mirror. Yeah, and I don't think that remembering that one or two extra wins in November will have an impact if slash when this team is pretty much out of it by the time December 15th well, rolls around. and I guess what I'm saying, ultimately this is a combination, this is a conversation about whether or not you believe in the concept of momentum and whether momentum is real. And, you know, there's been a lot of people, a lot of people smarter than the two of us who have, who have written, you know, theses on this, this type of thing. Um, and I don't know that there is um, a definitive answer, um, but it, it, well, regardless. All right, uh, let's actually get into what that, you know, what's going on on the court and whether or not maybe they're actually going to stand a chance in any of these games um, in terms of, of what the coach has been doing and what maybe he hasn't been doing. Uh, but first, uh, very quickly, let's hear from our friends at Vivid Seats. Um, Jeremy, have you uh, gone to any sporting events or theater, any any kind of anything over over the last several weeks or, or months? I was at the Bulls game that the Knicks actually won. Well, there you go. Um, and you have yeah. – you have, you have season tickets, but a partial season ticket plan. So you did not have to get your seats on Vivid Seats. But if you wanted to sell your seats, you could have gone on Vivid Seats and put them put them up. And you know what? Vivid Seats is great because they are a great intermediary, um, top source for tickets. You could sort by price, look for seats in your section, row, the whole thing. And you, um, if you download the app or in the App Store or Google Play or whatever, you're automatically enrolled in the Vivid Seats Rewards program which is great because it allows you to earn credit back um every purchase is backed by a hundred percent buyer guarantee um any ticket you want uh they got them and and here's the most important thing i mean even if you um you know maybe don't get these things that often all you need to do is get one set of tickets and you could use promo code overtime and you receive the discount up to a hundred dollars my anniversary is actually coming up in Holy shit! I think it's, it was. Oh my god! My anniversary is a, in in less than a month. I will have been married for five years. Jesus Christ! Congrats! For a second, I thought you were gonna say you're gonna realize that your anniversary is actually passed. You missed it. <laughs> my anniversary was yesterday, and that your wife was just waiting for you yeah. to realize that you missed it. So no, we've we've been talking about potential plans, um, and one of those potential plans is going to see a, a show. Um, but we we were like, oh, we can't. We don't want to waste the money on a show. But now. Maybe if we use promo code overtime, we could and we receive up to a hundred dollar discount. Um, I don't know. Maybe we'll catch. Uh, what's good on Broadway right now? I don't even know. I, I'm I'm so out of the loop. It's um, a great question. I mean, yeah. it's November, so uh, most of the great shows don't. You know, the next season doesn't open until April. But we can also we can discuss that offline because <laughs> I have a wealth of theater knowledge, but I don't I don't know how many of our listeners do. So this is fair. It will happily, it will happily help you help your wife. Have a lovely anniversary. And that's the most important thing. All right. Vivid Seats, uh, use promo code overtime. All right. B- before we talk about Fizz, the, the one other thing that I just I, – I, a nagging thought, and I actually think this leads into the conversation about Fizzdale pretty well, is you talked about this summer and Plan B and how thought out that was. And it was it – was, it was pretty clear if we put the pieces together between – Terry Rogier, who they were clearly going after, right? Um, Julius, like I bet you, their ideal summer plan B would have been Rozier and Randall. I bet you those were the top two guys on their list. I bet you they offered Rozier the same deal as Randall, except a two plus one instead of three guaranteed. And when Rozier got the three guaranteed from Charlotte, that's what te- that's what convinced him to go to Charlotte. I would bet I, my life on that. I seem to recall that the Knicks only did – they only structured it based on um, a two-year, like similar to pretty much all their contracts. Yeah, all the, they wanted to maintain the flexibility. Well, no, no, because no, unlike the Randall deal, which is two years plus one, they what I would read was that they structured Rozier's one, you know, one, one and one. And then Phoenix came in with I think a three-year offer similar to the Rubio deal. And then the Charlotte Hornets had an even bigger deal than that also for three years. And then he went with that one. Yeah. So, whatever. But regardless, I agree that those were the two big targets for for this season. For after Plan for A, the yeah. Yes. After Plan A went out the window, Rubio signed or sorry, Rand, um, 
Yeah. Rozier signs elsewhere. Randall comes. At that point, they look at, okay, what's the next best point guard that we could get? They go for Alfred Payton Jr. Um, Bobby Portis was obviously clearly a target of, of theirs. It's very, 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 very clear that the types of guys that they were going after were high, like, high talent, high, I want to say, athleticism, guys who maybe don't have the highest basketball IQ in the world, or at least don't always show the highest basketball IQ on the court, um, and thinking that we are going to be the place where we unlock what has thus far eluded the other organizations that these people have been with and we are going to, and how do you unlock that well theoretically you unlock it through coaching and and development and practice and and the whole thing and i think if we were to boil down where the criticism where all of this shit comes back to it's right there because whether you're on the front office or whether you're on Fisdale it all comes back to these are the like these are the ingredients you're working with. Is Fizz the best guy to work with these ingredients? Could any coach work with these ingredients in a better way than Fizz has? It's like so I don't know. Where are you at right now on Fizzdale? I guess maybe it's a good place to start this this part of the combo. I don't you know, I'm I'm more in favor of having him out than keeping him in. Today you would fire. So I want to I want to pin you down on this. Are you you were in favor of you would fire him today if it meant that they would promote who to the head coach? That's the thing. It's so I would love to see Mike Miller, and yet it seems like every step of the way with Mike Miller in the G League, all he was doing was replicating what the other coaches did before who were in the big leagues because it was just a more seamless transition. It's hard for us to know. Uh, Caleb Canales he seemed to do an adequate job when he was the interim head coach. It, we really don't know. It's it's tough to say. I love that Caleb, any of those guys would. He gave, sorry, me, yeah. he gave me a big pound last night, which made me very happy. <laughs> very nice, very nice. So that's the thing, you know. It's it's very easy to say let's fire this coach. I will say that historically speaking, teams that fire their coaches actually do better in the short term. Like their their backs against the wall, shit gets real, and they start to come together as a unit, and then they, you know. They kind of regress. Uh, we saw it with Chicago. We saw it with Phoenix. I think we saw it with, I want to say, Cleveland. Again, it does happen where they kind of realize that, th- that the front office isn't playing around right now and they need to kind of do more to get better. I was talking with Schwinn about this. He made a great point that keeping Fisdale on is actually a, a really good way for the front office to keep the heat off of them for as long as possible. And... Oh, I agree, you know, which, is, which yeah. again, backs up my theory from earlier, which is that if it was up to Mary, Perry and Mills, they never would have um, gone out there and, and said what they said because, again, if they fire Fish and it still doesn't work, well, guess who's right. getting fired? Yeah. Anyway, sorry. But, you know, as I was watching the second half over again from last night's game, I couldn't help but think just how overmatched Fizz was compared with Borrego. What, what makes you say that? Just down the stretch, it seemed like Borrego killed it in in ATOs. Like every time, it just in the last few minutes. I, I think the biggest thing that that occurred that really caused this game to spiral was when Mitch went down. It was eighty eight eighty after he he got the bucket and then Borrego I, called the timeout. I'm so happy you you picked that point in the game because I want to make a different point about the moment that it was eighty eight eighty until the end of the game. But continue. Okay. Uh, Mitch came out, and then I think it was 88-87. And then RJ managed to, you know, kind of keep the lead going. And I thought, great, you know, it's it's nice that RJ is at least propelling this team because Lord knows not really able to do it. And as it was happening on the defensive end, it seemed like basically the entire game where the Hornets were doing one of two things, just killing it from lights out or at least shooting from three, four feet at most beyond the arc if necessary or just kind of shooting from the corner – or pounding it inside with P.J. Washington consistently getting dunks and then going to the free throw line. So, uh, you know, it was great with R.J. And then eventually Mitch did come back in. But then also for, for the final play, R.J. was out. It, the, thing, the thing as well was Borrego called a timeout right as – I think it was Randall had just a god-awful shot from, um, from around the paint. And the Hornets brought it up court and Borrego called a timeout. And then he drew up a play that led to Devontae Graham 
sinking a three, which again, it's it's like you kind of have to live with that shot because it was so good. You hope that maybe there are better ways to defend it. Was this the was this the three to win the game, or was this the earlier three? This is the three to win the game. Okay. And then Knicks call timeout. Two point one seconds left. And then um, you know, I mean, it was the Borrego certainly had the benefit. I don't want to say benefit of doubt, right? But he had he had time was on his side, right? The Knicks had to get a shot off with two point one seconds. He there really wasn't a whole lot that had to get screwed up here. I could you know. I, I'm so, I, a lot of people are on that play call for Randall. And should Randall have gotten it? Should RJ have been in the game? Should Wayne Ellington have been in the game? Who hadn't played all friggin' night and hadn't played in, a, in what a week? Like those are all valid. I like on the list of concerns for me personally about last night, the play call with and who was on the court with 2.1 seconds left is like lower down the list for for me. Right, personally. but you can still say the play call that was drawn up. Especially the fact that Morris was inbounding the ball when he's shooting, what, 45% from three? Yeah. I'm, I'm not saying that Morris yeah. has to be the option, but he also was responsible for sinking a three that, that sunk Dallas. So, again, it's like – and then the play call that was drawn up with Randall, it was clunky. It reminded me of that preseason game it was against the Hawks. Yep, yep, yep. Yeah, it just seemed like Fizdale had a prime opportunity in preseason to see that didn't work. And he went right back to him. You know, like, again, I didn't have a huge problem with Wayne Ellington in the game. He was cold. He's not been great this season. But I was listening again to the podcast you and Dallas had, even as I was rewatching the game. And to me, it was like, yeah, this is a guy who maybe uh, he hasn't hit 300 threes or attempted 300 threes this year, but he's at least consistent historically speaking. Um, if, Frank, if he for example, is going to bounce back. Like right. he has to. He's so good. Right. Yeah. And which is why I didn't have an issue with that. It was more Morris inbounding the ball, the play call that was drawn up. It just seemed like. Also, the zone factor throughout the entire game, and I'm sure you have a comment on that, where it just – it seemed to me that Fizdale thought, hey, zone worked the last time we used it against the Hornets. So, I bet we can do it again. And so, Borrego was like, dude, we've worked together. I've seen this before when we played against each other last year. I've got much better personnel, and I looked it up. The Hornets are shooting – they have the ninth best three-point percentage this year. Last year, they finished the season 18th, which just goes to show that if you give them that that type of space – they're absolutely going to abuse it. And last night was a prime example well, of why that. So here's what I want to say about that. The Knicks were in zone pretty much all night, right? We've seen them so far this season. If there's been one thing that has been consistent, it's been little little quick guards who also – not even guards. Some, some, some of them can't even shoot. But just quick guards, basically like Devontae Graham and to a lesser extent um, Terry Rozier – have abused them like redheaded step stepchildren, and I could say that because my daughter has red hair. Um, oh wow! Okay, I see how it is. I, listen, we we love the red. The gingers are we are a ginger household. I mean, that's why you're, yeah, yeah, you're, we're you're, we're a pro ginger podcast. You're, I agree. You're, you're always welcome here, Jeremy. Um, so anyway, it, that has happened, and it has happened because the Knicks have switched, um, and the switching has not worked. And it's just been a bad look. So Fizz comes out last night and he's like, all right, we're going to do a zone. And through 42 minutes of game action, 42 minutes. So with six minutes left in the fourth quarter, the Knicks had given up 80 points. And in the process of giving up those 80 points, they allowed Charlotte to shoot. And I want to make sure I get this right. Up until that point, they allowed Charlotte to shoot 45 threes. And Charlotte made, at that point, 15 of them. They were 15 from 45. But, again, it was working because you cannot tell me that a defense that yields 80 points through three and a half quarters is not working. It, 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 was, it, it was doing – it wasn't perfect. God knows it wasn't perfect. But it was doing a good enough job to have the Knicks up by eight with six minutes left at home. And from that point forward – and that's, that's why I asked Fisdale about it after the game – because and he said it, he hit the nail on the head. He's like, at that we towards the end, we started overcompensating on threes too much, and Charlotte basically had their way, getting into the lane and getting on drives. And I went back today and I looked at it, and sure as shit, over those last six minutes when the Hornets scored twenty three points, they they hit every single shot they took with the exception of one. And you know what that shot is that they missed? A Terry Rozier three. 
And all of the other baskets that they hit, only two of them were three-point field goals. One was, obviously, the Devontae Graham shot to win the game. And the other one was another Devontae Graham three that, if I remember correctly, is not is not one like they, they could not have guarded it any better than they did. So basically, over those last six minutes, they abandoned the game, not abandoned the game plan, but like more or less abandoned the game plan that had gotten them to the point where they were midway through the fourth quarter and basically were like, oh, wait, now we can't give up threes anymore. And then Charlotte was basically getting to the basket whenever they wanted, and it resulted in layups and dunks and free throws, and that was a disaster because, you know, that's what drove their defensive rating, you know, through the roof for for the night, If uh, talking about the Knicks. And it's just like, so now I'm sitting there, and I'm writing my post-game story, and I'm thinking about David Fisdale, and I'm like, how much, how much blame do I give him for that? And I, I don't know the answer to that question. I don't know the answer. But it's a question I want to ask and I'm, I'm wondering about. So, I don't know. That's my That was my spiel. That was my diatribe for the night. Yeah. I get what you're saying. I, I completely do. It's just, it seems to me that at a certain point, is it is it just consistently the personnel? Like, yeah, Mitch was out of the game, right? And that certainly affected how how the uh, the Hornets were able to attack. And what Fizz was saying in terms of driving, and then they kicked out as well. I get all of that. But Mitch jumped past a couple of, um, yeah, Mitch, sure, a couple of three point shooters too. I mean, it's again, and that's one of those things where it's like, is it the fact that it's a, it's still a young team, you know, and it's it's and it's a they get tight, and you're you're relying on nineteen and twenty and twenty one year olds to make, you know, to, to to execute a game plan from from for the entire forty eight minutes, and that's you know, it's a lot to ask. But, but however. Lest, lest anybody think that this is an entirely pro-Fizz uh, podcast, I'm looking also last night at the shot chart. And if you look at the Hornet shot chart, you might as well, it might as well be a Rockets game. Yeah, um, I, was, I was thinking the exact same thing when I saw it because you can count on one hand the amount of mid-range shots yes. that they took. And then if you look at the Knicks— And then if you look at the Knicks, it is, it's like, oh, it's, look, it's dots everywhere. Look at all the dots. It's chicken pox. I mean, <laughs> there's no like. Yes, there's a there's a high concentration. You under always the have one line per episode that gets me. That was it. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, and it's just like completely sporadic. There's yeah, no yeah. cohesiveness whatsoever. So, I think. And if that's right. not on coaching, I don't know what is. Right. I think. I think what you're saying defensively, I get it. I understand in terms of why zone up until the very end why it was working held the team to 80-some-odd points. I, I understand all that. Yes, then if you look at the offensive side, there's really no flow to it. doesn't seem like they they really shoot with well, any that, but, knowledge. But hold on. That's also a little unfair because for large portions of last night, um, you know, just like in the Dallas game, um, you know, just just like in the previous Dallas game, uh, you know, honestly, and even through, through three quarters of the Bulls game that they ended up getting blown out, it's like, there has there's been like I don't know I didn't have a you there there were moments last night and stretches of game where I felt like the offense was really gelling um, and then obviously there were other stretches where where it was not so I don't know I, but, I just right. yeah the one thing I, I do want to say about RJ is I'm very perplexed as to why he wasn't in the game at the end and I the biggest thing to me honestly is it feels somewhat hypocritical based on what Fizz has said in the past. Are you talking about just for the last possession specifically? Yeah, let's let's start. Let's just say that. Because again, RJ had some clear moments at the end of the fourth quarter, right? He he was hitting fifty percent from the floor. He was hitting fifty percent from from three. He was just overall a very, very solid addition and he's the reason why that game was even the Knicks ahead for a good portion of the fourth quarter, if not until the end of the game, because they really had no one else who could who could finish the game quite like he did. Randall had a couple moments where he would, you know, hit a hit a jumper or he would go inside, but then he also had a couple boneheaded plays that just led to the Hornets going the other way. So with yeah, RJ, back, we should say by the way, just to, to, for anybody who didn't watch the game, under five minutes left, um, RJ scored one, two, three, four, five, six. Sorry, no, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Eight straight points for the Knicks, and then with under two minutes left, 
Randall scored four straight points for the Knicks on back-to-back baskets, and then Randall had the just god awful. Um... Oh, sorry, actually, I, I misspoke. Randall scored six straight. He had, he made three straight made baskets, and then he had the god awful um, second to last uh, possession. So yeah, yeah. So I think to me, when I see RJ and I see him playing thirty-one minutes, I think great. You know, okay. Fizz isn't throwing him out there for 37, and that also has been kind of consistent. RJ hasn't been playing yeah. the level of minutes he was earlier. The minutes on, have gone down. Which is great. But then I think about the whole, you know, eat what you kill factor, and RJ's cooking, and now all of a sudden, the one moment where you really need him, a guy who can who's been playing really well in this one game and deserves to be rewarded for that by playing when it truly counts, is noticeably absent. And to me, again, it just... I know that you also have talked about and tweeted even today about Fizz and how much he cares about this team, and I have no doubt that he does. Right? Yeah, he's. Yeah, but again, I mean, look, what every I'm sure every coach exactly. cares about the team. Exactly, yeah. that's the thing. You're not really going to find too many coaches who loathe the team that they <laughs> that they're coaching. They're only thirty. Maybe gigs maybe Larry Brown. Maybe maybe, maybe Larry yeah. Brown. Yeah. Yeah, but then again, it's like you want to show that your words matter. How are you? If your whole shtick is about playing guys who earn it, what could RJ have done to not have earned that moment? Yeah. And no. what could Frank have done? Again, this is me hating on Frank. What could Frank have done to be in that final play as well? And and Randall. And You're talking about the, the final inbound. offensive possession, yeah. Yeah, like Randall didn't need to be out there, in my opinion, unless you're going to figure some situation out where you can you can have him heading to the basket, right? running in any sort of situation because I was very curious about this. Randall this season, outside of 16 feet, 60 feet and greater. Um, oh, my God. This is going to be ugly. It's 12 for 58. Ugh. Ugh. From 16 feet to three point, he's shooting 23%. And beyond the arc, he's shooting 20%. So, again, it's like I get it. Randall just scored six straight points. But he also had a horrible miss. RJ, not that much longer, not that long previously, whatever. Yeah. Scored, what, eight straight points we talked about? Six straight points? Yeah. Why is he not in the game? Yeah. He can actually space the floor. And if yeah. you're going to go for the win and you're only down by one and you want to take a two instead of a three, that's fine. But how many times also do we see Randall not be able to create? Uh, he has a loose handle and he simply is just being guarded really well. And there's only one play to be made you know that when Randall gets the ball in his hands, the only opportunity, even if there are honestly five seconds left, if the ball gets in Randall's hands, it's very likely that the last player to touch it will be Randall. Well, and 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 we should also note that he was it was single coverage, right? So yeah, um, I mean, Fizz talked. I, I think after the game, you mentioned that you know the idea was to maybe try to draw the foul. Um, you know, but and is that was... the guy you necessarily want drawing the foul either. Well. Like, uh, Horst uh, did a fantastic job earlier, and and Clyde even says like I made a living off of that when when he did the head fake and and Randall earlier when Monk tied him up with the jump ball he didn't do the head fake yeah no and, but, and no you're right no it's he, listen, it just it's like the wrong last second play or last two seconds it was not it, it was not a good play RJ should have been in the game like I said we that, but on the grand scheme of things I guess that's. And maybe I shouldn't say this, maybe, maybe and especially since I'm the one who uh, 20 minutes ago said how how important a single win would have been. Uh, I can't now turn around and be like, eh, you know, the last play doesn't matter because ultimately at the end of the day, um, you need to have a head coach that can can get easy buckets on sideline out of bounds plays and end of end of quarter possessions and end of game possessions. And I think we know enough now to to realize quite fully that Fisdale is not that guy. I'm always more concerned with big picture stuff, as are you, um, and I guess that's what I'm struggling with more. And I feel like there are there are um, you know things that we have seen that are positives, and there are things that we have seen you know that are negatives. And um, yeah, I I don't know. Let's let's finish up here. Um, we talked a little bit about RJ and a little bit about Randall already. Um, what theoretically, if the Knicks can, you know, I always talk about them like if they could just not get out of the or get out of their own way for a second. 
Um, and we just concentrate on what most NBA teams have to concentrate on, which is like, all right, how are the guys that are actually that actually matter? How are those guys doing? We're 13 games into the year. Um, we are that is a sixth of the season. Um, if you do the math, um, it's not quite exact, but it's close. I think it's a, at this point, it's a reasonable place to assess like, all right, well, where are we at with these guys? And from that perspective, I think if you're a Nick fan and you're like, I need something to feel good about, I think that's the easiest thing to look to because I would argue that between R.J. Barrett, Frank Nilakina, um, uh, Mitchell Robinson, and even though he had an off night last night, Kevin Knox, uh, and actually, you know, uh, but let's put let's put Dennis Smith Jr. aside because that's almost a different conversation because of how crazy the beginning of his year was. But like looking even at what we saw from him in the Dallas game, like oh man, there's there's that's the guy they thought they were trading, and Dotson. Um, we can't forget about Dotson. I mean, he's a you know people like to forget about him, but he 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 makes it hard. Like those guys have all with the, with the exception of Dennis Smith Jr., who obviously again I'm putting in a different category. I think all four of those guys. Five, if you want to count Dotson, have exceeded expectations. Is that first of all? Is that fair to say? And and second, I guess, do you? How much stock do you put in that? How 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 happy does that make you? Well, it's, I'm almost at the point where are they exceeding expectations? Are they? Is this just natural progression, and we're simply not used to it? That's a great question, actually. And I, I really don't know. Um, I would say, yeah, RJ certainly doing better than maybe we would have anticipated to begin the year. Knox's shot there are, he has a lot of limitations but we know that him being a catch and shoot player last night's game aside he's been fairly consistent yep. we know Frank is starting to show more in terms of his offensive game even if he's seemingly not doing as well as as we might think and his defense is a little bit more apparent especially in, in the box scores we know that Dennis Smith Jr. is taking a step back but we're hopeful that the game in Dallas might be a sign of things to come. Unfortunately, the sample size is gearing in the opposite direction for just this year, but that's a small sample size to begin with. Yep. I'd say Mitch is still doing great things. He certainly started the year off not as great. I think he's also been more hampered by injuries than we might know. Dotson has, to me, always looked like, at least this year, and going, I mean, you can go back into other years too, but... I think the thing about Dotson is he's instantly injecting energy. The yeah. moment he's in the game, you are very aware that he's in the game. Can we just really quickly shout out? He has played only 97 minutes this year, which is nothing. In, yeah. in those in those 97 minutes, according to Cleaning the Glass, which filters out garbage time, the Knicks are plus 20.1 points per 100 possessions. So that means in roughly the 100 minutes that they have played him, um, they have outscored their opponents by 20 points. That's insane. Yeah. Yeah. But I think another awesome factor is with Dotson, he, or maybe it's not awesome. He just, he, he's also an older player, you know? I'm yeah. expecting more from him because even though he was a second round pick and who knows what's going to happen in the next stage of his career, he's got, what, six years on RJ, for example, five on Knox, four on Frank. Like, I'm expecting him because you could be 25 and be a, a terrible player, be a bad player, be an average player. Well, look, Devontae Graham last night, he's 24, I think. Yeah. yeah. So at least with Dotson, there's, there's more. He's coming along nicely as that rotation piece, and it surprises me why he's only played more than 97 minutes. Same thing with Ellington. I've, I've been surprised as to how little he's been playing over the last games or whatever, but you know he's also 32. I don't see him as a a long-term piece, but with Bullock, Bullock coming back eventually, I thought Ellington would be playing a little bit more than he is. But anyways, yes, I think that there's more hope for the younger players, and it's really going to take time for them to come into their own, and we can't expect that to be this year or even next year. At a certain point, though, there will likely come a point that fans cheer for that, but the priority is losing. Yeah, but we're 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 not there yet. I don't. No, think. we're not. I yeah. agree. And, and until and, then, you know, completely, I, I'm in full agreement with you on that. And I guess the the and we've kind of stumbled on this. Of course, of course, we're going to end this with a discussion on tanking. 
Um, last year, it was it was pretty apparent that, like, so Kevin Knox, right? Perfect example. Like, the Knicks were, with Kevin Knox on the floor last year, I think they were, like, minus 15 points per 100 possessions, which is, if it wasn't the worst um, mark in the league for a, a high-minute a high minute player, it was among the, you know, the worst two or three. And they were, uh, I, I think, only, like, minus three point something with him uh, off the court. So, basically, like, if you took away all of Knox's minutes and you just gave those minutes to other players who were on the Knicks last year, there's a world where the Knicks would have won, like, 28 29 30 games because that's if you if you typically if you have a uh point differential of like negative point three or sorry negative three you're right you know you're like a high 20s win team something like that um so it was very clear last year that like you putting kevin knox in the game was not going to equal wins um you know putting in uh you know i'm, I'm trying to think of like and that's but that's the thing is like you look last year is like what were who were the young core pieces that the Knicks had? There were there was Knox, Mitchell Robinson, who was the one guy that like fell into both categories. He was young and he improved the team's play on the floor. Frank was injured for the last whatever what, what is it thirty games thirty five games something like that. So it's not like you could even play Nilakina. Um, and then Trier was like uh, you know I don't know what you do with Trier. Um, Dennis Smith Jr. was like there but he was almost like he was not indoctrinated yet and he was like kind of it, it just it wasn't really pretty so he was, was injured too he was injured too he missed a bunch of games towards the end of the year too this year i feel like and again which is why i'm I'm happy about this i don't think we could have like the should the knicks tank discussion because <laughs> who are their best players their best players are frank delicato mitchell robinson um, R.J. Barrett and Kevin Knox. I know he's been hitter. Obviously, he's been bad on defense, and he had a bad game last night. But he's the best, but the best shooter on this team. So it's like, you know, like how, what? What does tanking for this team look like? You well, know? I think it's it's selling Marcus Morris, and it's probably trading Taj Gibson, or at least reducing his minutes. Maybe honestly, that would, maybe it's that would it's be upping tanking. Julius Randle's minutes at this point, unless he somehow finds who he was or who the Knicks thought Which he would be. Which feels like the opposite of... But that's what I mean. If we're, if you're sitting here telling me tanking for this team means playing Julius Randle more, that, first of all, is an, is the biggest indictment on um, the front <laughs> office that anyone could possibly have. Um, but it's like, the, you know, you, you get it. It's right, not, but... I, it, I don't, yeah. But, you know, teams that are this young traditionally don't do well. It makes sense. And I think also... The Knicks are likely going to try to flip one of Ellington and Bullock. It's the sort of thing where if they want to do it, they they can commit. And it's really not that hard for them because, again, we hope, we really hope that the Knicks somehow turn it around. But then we also look at the long-term future. And, and this again, this isn't a conversation that we're having right now because I don't want to get further into it. And we, we're both on the same page there. It's more that there are certainly avenues for them to get worse in the short term if they wanted to. And I really don't think it'd be that hard. Boy, um, this is the last thing I'm going to say for tonight. I, you know, we opened this conversation talking about, I don't think we use the word optics, but about how optics matter so much to this organization. And they always have um, at times when they certainly shouldn't. Um, And I, not, not that I think that there's any team in the league right now that's probably clamoring to to uh buy stock in in Julius Randle. Um but if there if there was a team out there who was willing to give up, I mean I, I don't even know what they would, you know, essentially like dump expiring salary and like I I, I don't a, a second round pick, a fir- late first round, I don't know, something, a late first round pick for Julius Randle. Like that's the type of thing like I do I think the Knicks would ever do that? Hell no. Absolutely not. But boy, if there's a move that I would love to see them make this year, it would be that. Um, and I well, think, I think yeah, – Yeah, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. No, 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 that's it. A lot of it comes down to what the Knicks' long-term plans are with, with cap space and if they're willing to take on any salary in the future. And if we're judging by past precedents, I don't believe they are. And I, a lot of – a big part of me feels that if they can't 
trade Randall for expiring contracts, which again, unless you're that miserable with Randall and very easily could be, I'm not totally sure what the advantage there is because of this crop of free agents and yeah, what's being allotted to you. But yeah, I, I'm sure they could still search avenues, but also if Randall helps them be worse and early signs are that we're, we're not having this conversation, Jeremy. right? It's too early. Yeah. I can't, no, no. I, I get I'm it. Not doing it. I right get now. it. I get and, it. And look, this isn't a shit on Julius Randle segment of the podcast because I think Julius Randle has done – he's trying to do pretty much everything that's being asked of him. And aside from some lazy moments on offense and defense aside, I I, 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 I don't think I, – I don't have a whole lot of blame for – again, if we're talking about process, like yes, the result of what Julius Randle has done has often been poor – but I think in terms of the process behind that, I do think his intentions are pure. I do think he's trying to do the right thing. Um, and honestly, oh, yeah. you know, other than other than the next to last shot last night, um, I, I don't, you know, he he certainly doesn't get any blame from me for uh, for that loss, despite the fact that he did not have a good game shooting the ball. Yeah, it's not systemic or anything. It's just kind of identifying what's working, what isn't. And we talked about how you can't really remove him from the starting lineup. At what point do you, does Fizz try everything out? And if he, if, it, if nothing's working, does he say, okay, Randall, let's, let's try you off the bench. And I don't see that really happening. In, uh, in... I, it's not going to happen. It's just, it's not going to happen. It's not, it's not going to happen. I, 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 I don't, and I, honestly, I, I don't even know if it should happen anymore I, I know I wrote a whole piece on it I know you we've talked about it in theory it should work but he just you know I don't know how much is there a comfort level there that other guys know like all right worst case scenario he could take a shot and it'll at least be have a sh- chance of going in I, I don't I don't know I don't know this, this is what this team does to you it makes you question things that you you were convinced you believed and and you know <laughs> anyway um Jeremy, this has been uh, fun, cathartic, therapeutic—all of all of the things, um, as always. Which is why, which is why I have you on here because it is—it's cheaper than therapy. Um, anything that you uh, want to uh, plug or or promote or anything before we uh, before we get out of here? Yeah, great great article this week, by the way, which is up on nixfilmschool.com. For anybody who um, has not seen that yet, it is it is just as relevant uh it will be just as relevant on monday as it was when it posted on um was it thursday yes um yeah but uh anything anything else to talk about no you did a fantastic job of plugging my plug so thank you (laughs) it's what i do jeremy it's it's (laughs) what i do um are you calling the game are you working the game on um no, I'm not. Uh, Alex Wolf is going to be making his debut on the Knicks beat um, on uh, on Monday night. Um, and from there, it looks like uh, the Knicks' next home game will be – oh, the Knicks have a light week this week. They only play twice during the Monday through Friday. Their next game is next Saturday. So they have two weekend games. They have uh, next Saturday at home against San Antonio – well, I, we should say they travel to Philadelphia, then they're home for San Antonio and home for Brooklyn, Saturday, Sunday, back to back. My guess is that I will do one of those games, um, and uh, who knows? Maybe it'll be coming off of a two-game win streak, Jeremy. You never know. You never, Why stop there? You ne- <laughs> Make it three. Well, they can't win more than three in a row heading into that because they only play two games between now. And- well, no, I'm saying for Brooklyn, they're playing Brooklyn on Sunday. If they if they hypothetically oh, win against Cleveland, Philly, sure. and San Antonio, that's three games. Um, man, if it well, Philly's been kind of we got to end this podcast, but Philly they've been kind of reeling a little bit, right? Yeah. So yeah, that'll be a good matchup. Hey, listen, crazy shit happens every day. <laughs> I, I I was a beat reporter for the New York Knicks last night. It, it, if anybody else needed any more evidence that crazy shit happens in this world every day and needs a reason to believe that maybe, just maybe, the Knicks could turn it around, that's all you need to know, really, <laughs> at the end of the day. All right, Jeremy, thank you, as always. Um, everybody out there, thank you for listening to another episode of the Knicks Film School Podcast. It was a pleasure, as always. 
Um, I will be back with you. I think I'm doing a post-game um, pod tomorrow night, uh, or I guess tonight when you're listening to this, uh, after the um, – who do they play tomorrow again? They play the Cavs. That's right. Um, with a very, very special guest – uh, who is always fun when he comes on the pod. And, uh, yeah, so tune into that. Everybody have a great week, and we will be back with you soon. Giddy up. Peace.